0: Thank you for all being here today. I appreciate a bunch. I'm blessed by it. Uh, there are a caves around this building. And uh well, I'm just gonna talk about one. This one. The empty cave, Because That's what we're here today all about. Thank you, musicians and song leaders. I appreciate that a bunch. But there's one cave I want to talk about today. The empty one. Let's look to God in a word of prayer first. Father, thank you for all who are here. Thank you, God, that we can come and worship and praise a a living God. While other religions have remains, we don't have remains. We have an empty tomb to praise you about. Bless our service today, in Jesus' name, amen. 1880, a guy by the name of uh, Nietzsche from Russia, declared that God is dead. <laughs> and before the turn of the 20th century, Shaw and Wells chimed in saying the 20th century would mark the end of the world's religious phase. And Yet today, a church now meets in Russia's Museum of Religion and Atheism. A church meets there today. Nitziki, I pronounce it wrong different times, I know that. Shaw and Wells have long since decayed in their graves, but God continues to live. There is the message. That's the message of Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Why do we believe? Why is that? Well, here's kind of a story that kind of relates that picture. Recently, an African Muslim was converted to Christ. When someone asked him why he had become a Christian, he answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you're going down a road and suddenly it forks in two directions. And you don't know which one to go. There at the fork in the road, you see two people, one dead and one alive. Of which one would you inquire the way? Well that's Christianity over and against Islam. Christianity has a live person to talk to and to live for. The Muslim regards both Muhammad and Christ as prophets of God. But whereas Muhammad lived and died and passed from the scene of history, Jesus lived and died, and he rose again. Muhammad died and is buried. His faithful followers take pilgrimages to visit his remains. The same is true of Buddha and other religious leaders but not of Christ. You can't visit his remains. You can only visit his empty grave because he isn't there. He arose. This side of history We understand that Jesus' death was necessary. Without His death, there would be no resurrection. At the cross He laid down His life for us. He willingly gave His all. There are two points I want to make out of the resurrection story today. Number one, the doubtful. How did His friends that He laid down His his life for view the cross? One answer could be from a distance. Where were they? They're gone. Like by the scene. Except John. He was the closest. They weren't there. The cross was the ultimate symbol of shame. Every, it was reserved for the vile, most vile criminals. The disciples teacher, the one they had left home to follow, was hung on the cross And when he was, they turned their back on him. No doubt, they viewed the cross as shameful. Perhaps they even began to question the wisdom of their decision to follow him. Disillusioned? Disappointed? Yes, certainly. Afraid? Perhaps. The crowd was out of control. Did they know that they were safe? Can the soldiers come and take them away as they took Jesus away? Could that happen? Then it happened. Jesus broke through the chains of death. And rose from the grave. He appeared to the woman at the empty tomb. And gave gave her uh, the message. And then gave the word to tell the disciples. Later he appeared before the disciples. But Thomas wasn't there. The disciples found Thomas and told him the good news. Jesus had risen. But... Thomas doubts the Apostle's testimony. Let's read this. John 20, 24-25. Now Thomas, named Didymus, or in other words the twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told them, we have seen the Lord, we have seen Him. But he said, unless I see the nails marks in his hands and put my finger in the nails were and put my hand in his side I will not believe it. well let's investigate this for a minute why would Thomas feel that way uh, we, we label him doubting Thomas but think about it for a minute he'd heard the vicious way they drove the nails in his hands instead of tying them to the cross they heard, and he heard the way the soldiers stabbed him in the side with a spear like a piece of meat. His anger and his doubt blended to become a toxic mixture of bitterness. And he said, because of that, Unless I see the nail prints in his hands, and put my finger in the nail's were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. Do you blame him? His hopes? his dreams and doubt. No way could he believe the unbelievable, not without proof. But in the next verse, Jesus challenges Thomas to believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood in there among them and said, Peace be to you. I like what verse 27 says in John 20, he says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. But, how would you respond to that? Whoa. Here he is standing right in front of you. Without touching the nails, scars, or putting his hand in his side, Jesus, Thomas, Believes, Thomas said to him my Lord and my God. John 20, 28 Thomas by his actions said seeing is believing but we know that listen to me believing is seeing. Jesus said to him because you have seen me you believed. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. You know what he's talking about? You and me. Jesus said, Thomas, you, you believe because you've seen me. <coughs> but blessed is the one who has not seen me and still believes in me. That's all of us. That's awesome. We've not seen, yet yeah, we, we believe. We believe because he loved us. The scripture says, greater love hath no man than this. And a man lay down his life for his friend, John 15, verse 13. A volunteer at at the Stanford Hospital was present when a little boy decided to give the ultimate sacrifice because he loved his little sister, Lisa. The volunteer says the little girl was dying of a rare disease, only one chance of survival. I have blood transfusion from her five-year-old brother. After the doctor explained what would happen during the transfusion, the little boy agreed to give his blood to save his sister. He peacefully laid down during the transfusion. After a while, he asked the doctor a question that really and really gave insight to his character. The young five-year-old boy said, Will I start to die right away? Apparently, the boy thought he would have to give us all his blood. But he was willing to do so to save his sister. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. And you know what hear me there is enough blood to cover all of us and all of our sin that's a lot of blood but there is enough there's enough to cover all of us I want to ask a question though has his blood covered you and your sins. Part two. I'm going to have Carol read this for us, please.
1: Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter, said, Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen clothes lying there, then, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been Jesus on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but he, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying.
0: Thank you, Carol. Mary went to the tomb that morning. She saw the stone rolled away. Angels told her, go tell the disciples. So she ran to the room they were in and said, he's alive. No, he didn't. She said, they've stolen his body. We don't know where he is. Peter, John, took off running. John's faster runner, Beat him to the tomb. But he didn't go in. But Peter got there a few seconds later, went on in, he found Claus Lane over here, but the one that covered his face was folded let me explain that in Jewish time during Jesus time there were two classes of people servants and masters when their servant would serve a meal to the master. They would make sure that the place sitting was absolutely perfect. I mean, everything was just like the master wanted it. And he hid out of the way. And he waited. And he waited. Now, if the master was done eating, he would leave his napkin Trouble up on top of the plate. But if the master was not done eating, the master would fold the napkin and lay it back down there. That was sign to the slave, "I'm not done yet. I'm coming back to this meal." Some translation says it was rolled up. Others say it was folded. It doesn't make any difference. The story is still there. Let's go back to the story. The one that covered his face was folded. Why? He's coming back again. He's coming back. What's that tell each one of us? Our Christ is coming back. The one we are talking about t- today, rising from the dead out of the grave, breaking the power of death. Right hand of God is coming a second time. He came the first time to be our Savior. Now He's I can be our Savior and will be our Savior if you want Him to be. But the time is coming, Christ is coming a second time. A second time. This time will not be to save. It will be to judge. This Easter is to celebrate the Lord's victory of over death. But it's now up to us, you and me, to do something about it. He is a Savior now, but He will be the judge then. We want to see a video to end this part. There is a man
2: pinned to a cross. He's willingly surrendered himself to authorities. He's been beaten beyond human description. Nails pierce his wrists, his feet. He cannot breathe. Jews and Romans alike are standing waiting for him to die. The leaders of both groups wanting desperately for this whole Messiah thing to just blow over. And so they wait. It'll all be over soon. There's just one problem. This story is not about death. This story is about life. Jesus is placed in a borrowed tomb. He's wrapped in burial clothes and is dressed for death. But after three days, an angel of the Lord forces the fierce Roman brigade to abandon its position. The stone door is forced to do the same. There is no body there. An angel of the Lord, grinning like a little boy, says to his confused followers, there's just one problem. This story is not about death. This story is about life. 2,000 years later, a room is filled with a group of people. There's a woman who struggles with self worth and value. There's a man who just became a widower. There's a teenage boy who hates his existence, sitting next to his mother who has no answers for him. There's a young couple, one step away from calling it quits, but won't admit it to anyone. And there's a deeply weathered soul who is giving church one last chance. We're all people who need life. We're all people who crave it. And 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the one thing we cannot possibly miss was his offer to all of us. Life. And while we may feel like we experience more death than we do life, there's just one problem with that. Your story is not about death. Your story is about life.